Welcome to the first of two very special CEO roundtables recorded live at the UITP Global Summit in Barcelona. In this first roundtable, we have Thierry Mallet, Laura Schoff, Andres Charks, and Ruben Lenore. We hope you enjoy this special episode with some of the world's leading public transport executives. And what always astonishes and also flattens me at the same time, the the greatest model shift in the last, I don't know, 30 years did not come from transport policies, but from a mind shift through the pandemic and through new technologies, which is called home office, more or less. And this also flattens me because it also says, um, whatever we do, maybe the key of changing to a better world lays somewhere else. This is the Transit Unplugged Live CEO Roundtable. Very excited to have with us four of the world's leading public transit executives. Right next to me is my good friend, um, Terry Malay, who is the head of TransDev globally. Terry and I were just saying that uh, we were together back, when was it, Terry? He came to my office in Baltimore and saw me there when I was CEO. Great to see you again, my friend. We're gonna be talking about what's happening with his company. Also, we have with us Laura Schoff, who is CEO of the uh, West Midlands Transportation System Combined Authority, they call it, over there in the UK, in Birmingham, England. Thank you so much for being with us, Laura. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's good. And then Ruben Lenore, who is Strategy and Quality Director of Renfe in Spain, a big rail operator. Thank you, my friend, for being here. Thank you. And a fellow politician (laughs) who is from Hamburg, Germany, and that is my friend Angie Jarks, who is Minister of Transport in Hamburg. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Very good. So our goal on Transit Unplugged is to shine a light on best practices and personalities who are helping to lead our industry. So we're excited today uh, to kind of dig in a little bit uh, and and see what makes our executives tick and what are their operations and what are their plans for the future. Thank you for joining us. Terry, let's start with you. So you're head of TransDev. Uh, I think it is the world's largest transportation contractor. Talk to us a little about yourself and your company. Okay, you know, thank you for the invitation and thanks for the opportunity. In a few words, Transdev, it's 100,000 people around the world in 20 countries helping 20 million, 12 million to go to work every day. That's what we do, is that we help people move around. Our purpose is really uh, empower the freedom to move of people in different countries using train, metro, buses, coaches, ferries, bikes, and car sharing as well. So it's our purpose to be able to work for PTAs around the world to be sure that they can deliver the best service. That's great. Now let's introduce Laura Shope, and she is from the United Kingdom. Tell us a little about yourself and what you do there, Laura. Uh, Thank you, and thank you for having me. Um, I'm the chief executive of the Combined Authority. We run the Integrated Transport Authority for the region, um, which is known mostly around Birmingham, but we're the second largest region outside of London in the UK living with about 3 million residents. Um, And interestingly, uh, in addition to transport, our authority also has responsibilities around environment, housing, um, net zero, and skills. And that's part, you asked about what drives me to do what I do. I'm really passionate about seeing how all all of those things come together to make a better city region. And that's what we do um, at the West Midlands Combined Authority. And what, what modes of transportation do you operate there? We own and operate our light rail system. Um, we, fr- we have a bus system that we franchise some of it and some of it is uh, commercial uh, and uh, can be controversial because I'm on the stage. We seem to be renationalizing our rail service as we speak. So uh, yeah, interesting times in the UK as well. 
We're looking for your mother here in Spain. <laughs> it's very good. Well, speaking of rail, uh, let's go to our friend uh, Ruben Lenore, who is Strategy and Quality Director at Renfe in Spain. Tell us about yourself and what you do. Thanks for having me here and for inviting Renfe to join this, this roundtable. Uh, I am responsible not only for strategy and quality, but also for uh, the coordination of European funds, so Next Generation and many others, and combining the three, the three uh, branches, the three streams, together in the, you know, in, 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 for the success of the company. Renfe is a state-owned company, depending on the Ministry of uh, Transport, Mobility and Urban Agenda here in Spain. We have two business lines for operations, so it's passengers and freight. We have uh, another, we have like 100 depots in Spain for the maintenance. We also have a, Ros a running stock company, a Rosco, just to rent and to grow internationally, uh, looking for, you know, to, to, to rent these trains that we don't use, or the, even investing in new ones for the, you know, for the with the regions. 500 million people in 2019, 80 million tons of freight and, and expanding internationally. Mecca, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Rivadica just started growing and facing the competition in Europe. So really excited about the transformation mode of, of rail to Europe. Well, thank you for being here today. And then Ajay, tell us about what you do in Hamburg, Germany. Yeah, hey, thank you for having me here. And I'm um, the, heading the Department of Mobility and Mobility Transition in Hamburg. So more or less, I'm a politician and have a mission. The mission is... We orchestrate our traffic, but we also orchestrate in a direction. It's called mobility transition, meaning less cars. And for this, two things are key, or let's say three things are key. Biking, public transport, and digitalization. So we're not only visiting this Congress, we're also hosting the next UITP Congress in oh, Hamburg right. and the yeah. one following 2025 and 27. How'd you and get that? That's like getting the Olympics twice. How'd you get that to come there twice? <laughs> Well, we tried to get the Olympics. It was denied, so that's why we have the UITP Congress. Yeah. So the, not, the, next, the, next, the next biggest event after the Olympic Summer Games is the UITP Congress. And maybe just two things. Um, obviously, we need to embedded the capacity in our public transport system, but we need to invest in digitalization and in automatic driving. And Hamburg is a bit different than Barcelona. We do not have so many inhabitants per square kilometer, not so much density. And therefore, we want to have like a whole new idea of public transportation by 2030. We want to have up to 10,000 automatic driving vehicles within public transportation. That's part or key part of our strategy. 10,000? Up to 10,000, yeah. So don't measure me exactly on the number, but we want to get them going with guests within public transport to 2025. And we do not want to do it like the US, like having private cars and just having a stack with, uh, that can drive automatically, but having, let's say, a kind of people mover, which up to 15 passengers. And we want to really get public transportation in the outer skirts of our city. And the idea is to give our citizens a kind of mobility guarantee. And it says, Everywhere you are in our city, you have a mode of choice within five minutes. So it's like a five yeah. minutes mobility five minutes guarantee. City. That's really something. And are, I think so are too. Are you yeah. elected or appointed? Tell us about how that works. No, I'm elected. And I thought, yeah. So that's why I also get all the, I mean, here are many people who have to, uh, managing companies, but if you're elected, you also have to argue with the population that you say, okay, it's not only offerings, but there are also some push measurements um, to slightly move the population in the right direction. And, um, but it helps if you have a good offering. And so in the end of the day, I think many cities have the same or face the same problems and you cannot solve them without investment. I think overall, it's not that we've seen people return to the core as much as we 
probably were really worried about during the pandemic, just people traveling overall slightly less. So we're working our way through it. And it sounds like you've got that three-day city going on that I hear in so many other parts of the world. How about in Germany? Well, we see the same pattern. That's very interesting, more or less. And I think the good thing about, if you look at it from a point of society, is people are not commuting that much anymore, which is actually not a really good thing, but they are traveling for good purposes, like leisure, sports, with their families. And it's really, you see a different thing happening in society. We are also recovering uh, up to 95% at the moment with the same pattern. And what always astonished and also flattens me at the same time, the, the greatest modal shift in the last, I don't know, 30 years did not come from transport policies, but from a mind shift through the pandemic and through new technologies, which is called home office, more or less. And this also flattens me because it also says, um, whatever we do, maybe the key of changing to a better world lays somewhere else. Thierry, as, as an operator of transit around the world, what are some of the challenges that you're facing now post-COVID? Are you having the same issues that I hear across the U.S. and Canada, which is, and some parts of Europe, that can't get enough employees? I mean, what are some of the challenges you're finding? I think that at um, the same time, we've got three challenges. The first one is, of course, to get people back on the buses, on the trains. It's a very different situation from places to places. In some places, we are at 120% of 2019. In some places, uh, like Dunkirk in France, for instance, in smaller cities. In bigger cities, we are usually a little bit lower, but lower in the center and higher in the suburbs. Interestingly enough, uh, what we see that today, pattern of change in the city centers where people can work from home, you have also something that is also underestimated is uh, the fact that you don't have to travel for a one-hour meeting anymore. You don't have to work from home, but you stay in the office and uh, you don't cross across the city. You don't lose two hours in traffic if you have an hour meeting. And that is a very important pattern, which is, in my mind, as important as a pattern of going to work every day. And so it means in the center of the city. So a lot of people are using bikes and walking as well. So it's a change. But in the suburbs, a lot of people, especially people working for the care business, who have to go for home, they still need solutions. And every time we've been up in lines in the very remote suburbs, they are totally full because of the cost of energy and people need that. And today, clearly, if we want to solve the problem of the city centers, we have to work in the suburbs, not in the city centers itself. People have already made the transfer. A lot of the cars that you will see in the city centers are coming from the suburbs. So the big challenge, the second challenge, will be the challenge of the energy transition, having cleaner buses, having cleaner... And today we have a fleet, at the end of the year, we'll have a fleet of more than 3,000 electrical buses around the world, and different countries, different places. The most advanced country for us is today the Netherlands, where already one third of the fleet is already electrical. So it's a big transition. And our second largest fleet is in Bogota, where we started last year 400 buses in one batch, we did invest, we did build the buses, we built the yard. And so it's a big, big move in a place like Bogota. And uh, quite impressive, it shows that it's happening everywhere. And we launched at the beginning of this year more than 250 buses in Santiago in Chile. So it, it shows that it's not happening only in Europe, but everywhere in the US as well. So it's, it's a good trend. And the last one you mentioned it is to get the drivers on board, because we, uh, that's one of the big issues. Huh? We, people, and it's not only our industry, be sure that people want to work in our business. People are retiring, and we don't see young people as interested in that driving business of the older generation, and we definitely need to make our business more attractive, and that's also a significant challenge. How about, how about you in Spain? What are you seeing? 
As we all, uh, I think that share, uh, we are all trying to understand how uh, how people are is moving nowadays and and how this mobility pattern has changed in the last the last two three years. But now uh, I have to mix because I know that we are in a public transport summit, but we have uh, public transport, but also high speed long distance services, which now add like the new commuter somehow, because if you have Madrid to Barcelona in two hours thirty. That's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people changing their, their home for second places and then coming not for commuter services per day, but three or four uh, weekly for longer distances. On the other hand, on the public transport, what we have seen is that people is coming back to trains. Uh, yeah, it, obviously, we, it, it's, it's really important there, the, the action the developed by the government that uh, all the commuter services and medium distance are free for everyone since last, uh, you know, the last quarter of 2022 and all 2023. And in medium distance high-speed services, we have a special discount of 50%. And nowadays we have recovered. People is moving even more. And, you know, in Spain is a really uh, huge place for, to do tourism, but people moving for work uh, in other ways, but growing. And you know, now we are recovering the time, uh, the customers that we have in 2019, in spite that we have the entrance of new competitors in high-speed. So we are, opening the market, and also trying to, to, to know how people is moving. You all have commented, Sam, post-COVID, that there, were, there are new trends happening right now. You mentioned the three-day city. You talked about changing ridership patterns. What are the new trends you're seeing there in Hamburg, Germany, for public transportation? Yes, uh, you mean the post-COVID? Yes. Yeah, post-COVID, I, mean, I think I pretty much agree with Laura on this thing. We have a three-day city. I think it's a good uh, term to describe it. People want to go to home office. We had a we just made a study, a representative study along our population that says we have overall every day there are 17% of the people that were commuting are now in home office every day. 17%? 17% and up to 40% of the workforce use home office every week. So this is quite a lot and this obviously has a reflection on uh, the way um, public transport uh, recovers after a uh, um, after pandemic. And I think it ends up in an overall mobility strategy and it means we also know from the same representative story that the amount of car um, kilometers that are driven in Hamburg every day was reduced by 28%. So the actual loser, so to speak, is the private car. And public transport is almost the same level as uh, um, before pandemic. And now it is important to undertake the measurements that car driving will stay low and public transport will even increase if there are greater demands, and that's what we're doing with some push and some pull measurements. You know, uh, tomorrow we're doing another event just like this with four new speakers tomorrow. Jeremy Yap will be here. He is uh, the deputy CEO of Singapore's LTA. I actually was able to just visit with him recently, and he told me that during the pandemic, it actually was a blessing in disguise, so to speak, because they were having to put so much emphasis on the peak of the peak uh, in the mornings and afternoons, and it took so many resources to make sure since that kind of came down, the peak of the peaks, they've been able to spread those resources out. Are you seeing things like that at your location? Yeah, absolutely. Even the, I might take the train into work every day. Um, and just the fact that you can get on a train at, at eight o'clock in the morning and sit down, um, you know, is a totally new phenomenon where we are. There's people do come in later. They may take their first call from home, drop their kids and then come in or they, you know, they may stay later. So, all that, um, all that air that, especially rail services, were taking off peak is now is now better spread, 
Um, and and that kind of flexibility is also really important, um, I think, to recruiting. And it just speaks to one of the problems that we're having is, you know, drivers work shift patterns and the rest of the world is enjoying sort of freedom and flexibility in their jobs. And those two things are making it incredibly difficult to recruit. And I think I would just say, too, there's a difference what we see between rail and bus. And if I can be sort of blunt about it, which is, there are a lot of people in our urban conurbation who are in transport poverty. They don't have access to a vehicle and they are heavily reliant, especially on the bus, in order to get anywhere to, for shopping or recreation. So we're facing a bit of an existential threat at the moment because we're seeing bus services reduced because of this difference between the cost and the, and the revenue. And it's disproportionately impacting on our most vulnerable and often the people who worked straight through COVID. So it's becoming a terrible sort of self-fulfilling social problem we have to get a grip at. But just, uh, just to highlight that we also see, we are also, also seeing uh, this change of, of the meaning of the words. I mean, peak and off peak, or even Monday or Friday, we can serve different. And we have to, to coordinate this new operations model, changing trains and changing these train riders uh, to adapt to the new thing that we as citizens know. Well, in addition to Laura, I just want to uh, stress uh, two points. Usually in the public transport branch, we only talk about capacity and capacity is almost everything, which is also, of course, a lot. But we nonetheless must talk more about comfort. And you stress the point, people can sit down again. And it's a very important thing, especially if you want to have the long running train services and want people to get into long running train services. They do not want to stand the whole day. They need to sit down. And this is something very important to talk about comfort, also to, to gain people who used to drive their own private car, because this is usually a lot more comfortable than taking mass transportation, as the word already says. And therefore, if you want to gain people and want to reduce car usage, I think the, the idea of comfort is a very important thing. And it also has, uh, it makes it happen on these different mobility patterns. And the second thing is, usually we build up infrastructure before, only for these peaks, for these peaks. Right. So we are actually able to reduce the costs of new infrastructure It's not only about public transport, but also we can reduce, for example, streets by one or two lanes because we only have them for one or two hours a day. And now we have different peak times and therefore we can reduce them and do other things, make them green, make bicycle paths there or something else. So the idea of having a reduced peak is very important, I think, for a city. When we are talking about long distance, I mean, depending on the length of the journey, the customer experience is really, really important. And The trip is experience itself. It's not just a way to go from A to B. It's more than that. It's, you know, it's the experience that we have. Thierry, do you have any thoughts on this topic? I think that uh, clearly people are taking public transport because of the efficiency of the system. We should never forget that. Some people don't have the choice of taking it. But clearly all the studies that we have conducted is that if we want to compete against car, we have to be on a same level. It's not a matter of cost, by the way. Most of the time it's a matter of efficiency, of comfort, and we should never forget it. When we did a, store, a survey in France recently, more than 50% take it, they have cars, because it's more convenient than the car. Because they avoid traffic jam, because they can sit. And actually, uh, people put a penalty where they can't find a seat of 50% on the time. So we can even, even value that. So when you are standing, you, your time is spent in a very different condition. If you can actually sit and work or do something else, it's not time lost. And we had a very good experience in France on uh, express coaches long-distance coaches coming from the suburbs, which are quite interesting because they are totally full. 
post-COVID, it's coaches, so you have a seat, you expect to be able to sit down, and uh, people can win time, but the key there is the comfort, plus the fact that it's services that we have open from 6 in the morning till 10 at night, every quarter of an hour, and it's all the 1,000 people on each line that have been open, sometimes 30 kilometers away from the city centers, to show that there is a big demand there that was not untapped up to now, and it's a big success, and people don't hesitate to let their four, but the secret as well on those coaches is that for the 30 kilometers, you've got only four stops. It means that you're not replacing the car. The car, you're going to be using it less, so you're going to go to a car park, which is sometimes in the countryside, very inexpensive. You go for 10 kilometers, and then you do for 30 kilometers in a coach. You save money, you're more efficient, it's reliable to go to work, and so it's a new way also to looking at that. That's a good complement for rail. Rail is sometimes expensive. A line of 2,000 people per day, is it worth spending much money on a rail line? Or if you can do it by, by coach. And after that, we are even looking in some places of having dedicated lines that can be used for coaches and car sharing, which could be an opportunity to use the road and not to have a fight between the road and the rail, but to find a good complement between both. And sometimes you don't go with a coach all the way to the city center, but you will stop at the nearest big train station to get it to the city center for the last few kilometers as well. So let's summarize this first portion of our conversation. I think what we've heard is that the COVID pandemic changed ridership patterns, changed really um, the role of public transportation. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But what I think what happened to governments largely, we have a couple of representatives of the government here, is that uh, even though the pandemic reduced ridership, most cities still saw that their public transportation services were the main way that their, what they call essential workers, were able to get to work. So the people who were running the hospitals and the water systems, et cetera, they, had to, they were riding public transit. So I think a lot of folks in government maybe saw for the first time that, you know, to use an old children's rhyme, the wheels on the bus that go round and round are also the wheels that make our economy turn. And I saw personally across the world a stronger commitment on the part of federal governments, especially in public transport. And we saw in Canada for the first time ever, money being given down for operating dollars. Prior to that, it had always only been capital dollars. Uh, in the US, big tranches of funds and across Europe, public federal government saw that, yes, we need to reinvest in this. This really is an essential service for our city, public transport is. And so now that we're coming out of the pandemic, some governments are reprioritizing. That's what I want to talk about next. Let's talk about money, because it does take money to make our transit systems operate. So in the U.S., we saw an increase in our, what they call our five-year reauthorization, a 40% increase of baseline funding that the federal government was going to give to the operators across. What's happening in your locations? Is there, coming out of the pandemic, still a revenue commitment on, behalf, on part of the government, or are you having to scramble for money? Let's talk about Germany first. And we have the system that for local uh, public transport, actually there's no stake of the federal government. And within all these pandemic and all, actually more the energy crisis, we introduced the idea of the nine euro ticket so that we have for one month for nine euro, you get all local public transport in Germany for free. And it was introduced by the federal government in total. So they paid all of it. And at the same, and it was more like an accident, so to speak. It was because the liberals wanted to reduce the fear of gas prices. And then the Greens said, okay, no, we also need to reduce the fees of public transport. And what came out of it is now the Deutschland ticket, where we say, okay, we have one nationwide ticket for 49 euros, we're all local public transport. And what happens is quite okay, because 
we have like this growing system over the last, I don't know, 70 years, where, which makes public transport, let's say, um, complex, the ticketing system complex. In Hamburg, we have a complex, or we had a complex ticketing system. In Berlin, we had a complex ticketing system. In Munich, and in every part of the country. And now you, you can get rid of it completely because you just have one ticket and the federal government, that was your question, paid half of it. So even though it, it, does not have, it didn't have a stake in it, it paid half of it, one and a half billion. It also had to add one billion for more services. So the federal government has to pay regional transit and it added a billion, even though if you see the cost rise, a billion is not that much. So two and a half billion extra money was a good deal for me. Yeah. And uh, transport fares in Hamburg were cut by half by this. Do you see, Aji's that commitment continuing both at the local and federal level over the next few years, the, the financial support? I think so, because I think they can't get out of it anymore. It will, the Deutschland ticket was sold now 10 million times, and I think by the end of the year, it will be rather, probably rather 20 million. And the cycle of investment, I, th I don't think many public transport companies get this, but the idea is if you have 10 million more subscriptions for public transport in Germany, then people will also demand more investments. It is a democratic idea. Yeah? So if you have more subscriptions, people will demand better services. And it's not the other way around. So if I talk for, uh, with public transport companies, they usually argue in the past that they said, okay, if we invest in ticketing, no one will invest in capacity. Rising prices and no one will invest in capacity. But I think it's the other way around. If people use the services, they demand more money. And at the end of the day, our, our economy has up to, I don't know, 4,000 billion of revenue, or no, 4,000 billion euros revenue. Public transport in Germany costs in total 14 billion euros. It would be easy for my country to make it for free if there's the choice to do so. We are not there, but the money is there. You just need to allocate it. That's the important part. First is, uh, you know, the, our government, uh, you know, that's Renfe is part of the government of the transport. Uh, we have a strategy for mobility for, the, for these years, according to the European strategy, a smartphone mobility. And with this strategy, combining, as you said, combining different modes of transport, but with, the, with public transport and mainly rail as the backbone of the system, all the, the investments coming also from European funds. So it's a very good moment to invest for Spain, uh, for the rest of, of, of people in, in Europe, and to invest in public transport. In the last three decades, Spain has been investing a lot in high-speed development. So that's why we are the second uh, largest network in, in the world behind China. But we have also, in, in this 2021-2026, we have allocated like 22 billion just to invest in rail in the maintenance of commuter and, you know, regional services. So public transport is a bit. And, and I think there's another example is the one that first, these free transport tickets for the whole population for commuter. And the, in the case of Renfe, but also in uh, regional consortiums and bus companies, I mean, everyone in Spain could really commit with that. And it's a way, I mean, we all share the, the, the commitment to the carbonized economy through the decarbonation of transport. Uh, in our case, rail is one of the, of, of the main solutions. I know in the UK, our friend Andy Byford was able to strike a deal with the federal government to come out with some more money for TFL. What's happening in the rest of the country? We should all be so lucky as TFL. So the UK is actually a really quite centralized uh, country, um, probably the opposite of Germany. We'd love to be a lot more like Germany with more freedoms and flexibilities regionally. Um, but we have had subsidy both, well, we've had a, a big capital allocation, so we had a 
five-year capital allocation of just over a billion pounds for us to construct infrastructure in the West Midlands. And then we're also part of these two national subsidy schemes about keeping fares low. Um, and that was literally just recommitted to, I, I think it was just only three weeks ago, because I think uh, I think it was sort of what you were saying earlier, which is the, I think the pennies dropped about the political ramifications of the loss of transport. Um, and there were some local elections in the UK where two areas where bus companies had withdrawn almost all their services and the, the government was punished at the polls. And I think that woke people up a little bit to um, how many people rely on public transport um, and how unacceptable it is to the electorate. And when that happens, same as more people riding, um, it, it comes higher up the agenda. So I'm pleased to say we've seen um, there what, what we have in the UK is um, a two pound cap each way, um, depending upon where you are in the country operates slightly differently, but there's a commitment to that for the next year and a half. What do you see in theory? Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned already the US where we did receive a lot of money and we have a lot of support, especially to develop services and go into the energy transition. Germany, I can confirm the trains are full. My trains, the transit trains in Germany are clearly full and we see with a 49-euro ticket, we were around 80% of the ridership before. Now we are around 120%. So it has a big impact especially in uh, Bavaria. On weekends, it's full. So I see that the 49-year-old so ticket... Bavaria actually didn't want the ticket. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but what I can tell you about what I see in my trains in Germany, what is interesting is that we see a little bit more people on, week on weekdays, but much more on weekends. I mean that people are really using these 49-year-old tickets where they don't have to decide to go to work. They, they, they don't have a choice. If they could take public transport, they take it. They may take it a little bit more. But clearly on, weekday, on weekends, they can decide to use this ticket to go to a location where they don't use their car, which is very positive. So it means that all locations reachable by public transport or by trains are favored by people on weekends. Yeah? And I can say in Bavaria, we, have, we start having problems and we need to, to extend the trains or extend the service rapidly. So we need money somewhere at some point in time. In France, we did receive a big support uh, from the government during the covid I know everybody is about expanding services, especially around the large cities. Huh? Today, the BDC is not the city itself or the suburbs, it's beyond the suburbs. How do we treat people outside uh, in order to help people give up their cars? I mentioned it before, so there is a big tendency everywhere, but I see it here in, I see it in Sweden, I see it everywhere, where uh, people are really looking at extending services, extending operations, putting more money into public transport. It's clearly a solution for the climate change, eh? because part of it will be sold with electrical car, and electrical car will be expensive, not available for everyone. And if we want to have more shared mobilities, it means also more public transport, more intermodal transport, because when you go into suburbs, you don't get the same efficiency of public transport, and you want to have something which is efficient from a cost point of view. Eh? Even if it's common good, you want to do that the best out of your money. So it's about designing solutions transport on demand, solution in suburbs, car sharing, which are a good complement to the network of public transport. And clearly the fact that we need digitalization that allows you to get in a seamless way to those services is very important for people to understand what is available. A lot of people don't understand the public, and I believe that the Deutschland ticket has a big impact for people not willing to buy tickets. We have the same issue in France, plenty of tariff, plenty of system, very complex. The train is not the public transit. Public transit can be different. And so when you have one single ticket to pay across, the only country who had that before without having one single tariff was the Netherlands, where I had this card. 
which would allow you to go everywhere in any network if you didn't have the, the fee for the network, you would get the bill at the end of the month, which was already a good card. But even the Netherlands today is moving into the, the credit card as a way to travel as well. But you don't have flat fee in the Netherlands. It's a very different system as well uh, from the others. But I think that the ticketing and the, the access to public transport is very important. Sometimes it's complex for people to understand the way it works. And everything we do as mobility as a service is key in that sense to attract people. All right, so we've talked money. Now we're going to switch over to technology. Uh, so many public transit systems, I think, are what I call still stuck in the 90s when it comes to their technology. And you can walk around the showroom floor and see amazing things. What is going on in your mind over the next, well, let me start here with you, Laura. Over the next one to three years, what do you think, what technologies will most impact your operations? Well, uh, you can't not hit the hot topic of, of AI if you're sat on a panel. Um, but definitely that for, for so much of what we do, everything from sort of customer services to, to some of the more back office things that we do, I think we will see AI start to shape and change and make us uh, more efficient. Um, the UK is a little bit behind in uh, automated, in automated drivers and we're yeah, I think our, our rail strikes are now maybe maybe just in the thing of legend in the UK, um, but if not across Europe. So there's quite a lot of industrial action. And so one of the things that we have to work through is that intersection between technology um, and staffing and how we deal with some of the unions because we're, we're struggling to move and implement some of these technologies because of the threat that they're perceived um, to bring. Obviously, automated um, and connected and autonomous is hugely important. I'm going to go to Hamburg straight away to see how they're going to do this. And I'm fascinated by the trials in say, places like San Francisco, where they have automated taxi cabs out on the streets now. I think that inevitably will come. Um, but I'm also excited to see what we can do about making the roads themselves the most smart and efficient. So through the technology and sensors on roads, how we get the most out of the capacity there. I think our whole industry is being changed by that, by that constantly by sort of innovation, sustainability, and then the challenge of indi individualization. Um, and I can't see those three sort of macro trends changing anytime soon. First, uh, it's, it's, well, we talk about technology, but also about people, because we need people to do to, to, to adopt these new technologies that we need to hire people with new skills that can develop these this, this solutions. We have a, a startup accelerator, a startup hub, uh, since four years ago, and we launch every year four or five different challenges that we need them, need their help just to, to, to improve our business. And it's, I mean, uh, starting from there, maybe the, the less important is metaverse, because we, we want to, to be the first European rail operator working in the metaverse, uh, obviously AI in, the, in terms of operations and in terms of maintenance, you know, the internet of trains as we talk, uh, we need these this hundreds of uh, signals, these hundreds of sensors, giving us, providing us information, not only for the maintenance, but also for the customer. Another part of the challenges are related to sustainability. We are sustainable uh, as a, a mean of transport, but we need how to measure that uh, and, and to be more efficient, uh, the trains in the energy consumption and, and how we track this, all this information. Yeah, the signaling is so important now to have it updated. I hear so many train systems around the world are right now involved in updating to the latest technology, that's signaling. What do you think? What are some of the technologies that will most impact operations for you in the next one to three years? Well, I think technology is uh, key to everything. 
And uh, first of all, it's accessibility, or you said about ticketing, easy ticketing. It's very important. But also to say one thing first, with a Deutschland ticket, we get rid of lots of bureaucracy. If you want to transform bureaucracy into the digital world, you have a problem. We had 150 different subscriptions just in our public train service. Now we've won. So if you want to transform this into a digital movement, it's much easier and you are much quicker. And usually public transport companies are too slow, way too slow. So we need to speed up there. The second thing is, I think, automated driving. We have, a, one of you th said, a, a problem with personnel. Definitely, we do not find the drivers we need and we need to talk about automated driving also within buses. Not within the next one to three years, but it will come and we'll, we need it also and we need to cut costs there. It is 60% of my cost per kilometer is the driver. So if I want to have a better service, if I want to have a better investment, I need to talk about automatic and connect, uh, connected uh, driving. And then we have, we see all the, the maintenance stuff. So if we build new stuff, yeah, building information modeling, I think is key uh, to have a, a clear maintenance over the whole life cycle. And therefore you see the technology and the technological integration together with artificial intelligence will shape the branch. Usually it is the case that the train companies, at least in Germany, and the public uh, services are slower than the car industry. And what we need to get is we need to be quicker and we need to be maybe more as, as, as quick as the technology companies. And this is where we need to have a mind shift within the public transportation branch, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, one of the things that private companies do across Europe and the US, really across the world, is they can bring into place new technologies quicker because they don't have to go through all the procurement procedures of the government, they can bring about it. Terry, tell us about some of the new technologies that TransDev is bringing to the market. Well, so first of all, I think that the biggest challenge in the short term is electrification of buses. It's not a, short, a small one. Uh, today, TransDev, we have 40,000 buses around the world, and we have only 3,000 electrical so far. But it's moving very fast now. We had only 50 in 2060. And every year we end up adding 1,000 to 2,000 new electrical buses at the speed at which it's moved. And it's a technology which is changing every year. So the way we design a network last year is not the way we will design the network the following year because batteries are changing. You know, with, with electrification, our buses look more and more like computers with anyway capabilities, with battery life, with battery expectation, with weight, which is changing every year. So the way you design the route and you optimize them will change over time. That's why we have a dedicated team, yeah. which is helping every network in the world to do the best of what is available, because it's changing very, very fast. And that's a key challenge. We are also investing into hydrogen. Huh? It's the start of the story. I mentioned in 2016, we had only uh, 50 electrical buses. Today, we have about 60 uh, hydrogen buses around the world in different places, different countries, we're testing them. It's also part of the solution going forward. And we have also, we will start also an hydrogen train very soon in Bavaria as well. So <laughs> back to Bavaria. So just to show that there is those new solution, how they will extend at what space. It is important to go and invest in. Anyway, we don't know who's going to be the winner. There is a lot of solution. I still strongly believe in biogas as well, as long as it's renewable biogas. And I renewable is very important because too much biogas doesn't mean it's renewable. And I think it's a good solution because you can capture methane that goes into the air and if you take it from waste. And that's an area where we, I believe that, and I had discussion with the European Commission about speaking about your biogas and not just biogas, 
in the future, all the source, because we need to have a mix of energies. We, at some point in time, we start to see in some countries that it is difficult to hook up to the network when it comes from in the Netherlands, not to mention it, because a lot of people are moving to electricity and connecting to the network and having access to the renewable energy on time starts to be an issue. So because they are at a point where it has reached a certain point, and I definitely believe that autonomous driving is the biggest challenge in front of us, because it means that today, productivity, as you mentioned, we still need one driver per bus. If tomorrow, if we can have one supervisor for five buses, because I believe that we need people, because we are transporting people, we are public transport, so we need some level of coordination or supervision. You want to know what happens on board of the bus, you need to be able to intervene in 10 minutes. So you have people in the field, you have people supervising. Then it will be a big change. It will allow us for the same budget to have much more offer, so a much more efficient system. And I think it's something which is coming and we need to invest and I welcome what you do. With Laura, we work on that as well in the US, but it is very important to be on top of that because for me, that's probably the biggest new frontier in front of us. Two more questions uh, for the panel. What I've seen, and I think, Laura, you mentioned this a minute ago, I've seen three global trends happening in public transportation over the last year. One of them is the push to improve uh, equity and inclusion through public transportation. Second is uh, the focus on customer experience and the individualized experience of each passenger. And finally, it would be what I call environmental stewardship, a broad approach to having public transit play a more integral role in cleaning up the environment. And you kind of just segued into my new question, to my, the next question, which is, how is your agency or your company addressing sustainability, zero emission fuels? Are you looking at just battery electric? Or like Terry said, are you looking at other fuels in the US? A big trend right now is hydrogen. It's actually probably the hottest trend in the last 60 days is uh, people are saying, you know what, we need to have a blend of fuels and hydrogen is becoming up. So tell us what, what's happening in the United Kingdom. It's obviously at the forefront of everything we do. Everybody understands, especially in, in these halls, um, the impact that, that transport has on, on air quality and emissions. So obviously we're looking at everything we do to, to look at the, what, our, what our impact is. We have a zero emission bus fleet project in Coventry, which is in our area, where we are looking at an all electric bus fleet for that city. We're still in the you know VHS Betamax stage, where not, we're not coming off the fence between electric and hydrogen, but certainly electric is um, more prevalent in the UK than hydrogen um, at the moment. We've got battery operated trams, so if you come into Birmingham, you'll see um, as as our trams come through, the pentagraph come down. Um, and then they run through the rest of the city um, on battery. Um, and that's fascinating. It's a, it's a different experience um, altogether to watch them move through without the pentagraph. So trying to do everything we can to green. We're also putting in um, measures around uh, uh, congestion charging. So trying to use a carrot and a stick. So for some of our most polluted areas, um, introducing a charge to, to drive. Um, I often say try to think of a, of a city that doesn't a world-class city that doesn't have some sort of a, of a charge, whether it's told to come in or out, it should be a mark of a, of a world-class forward-thinking city to limit car use. Um, and we do that in the areas where there's enough public transport for people to make different decisions. Um, and then again, I think something that's quite important is things like scrappage schemes. So trying to move people who can't afford necessarily to make that transition into giving up older, more polluting vehicles and helping to financially make that uh, sustainable. Otherwise, I think 
um, we do run a risk of sort of seeing a bigger divergence between people who can afford to run electric vehicles, therefore not pay congestion charges. They may have a driveway and a garage and they can hook up to the grid versus quite a lot of our housing stock in our urban areas, which don't have access to that kind of charging. They, we, they won't be able to charge on street or they don't have the infrastructure readily available. And they don't also have the, maybe the financial means to change the vehicle that they drive, which then means that they're financially penalized again. So try to find a way through that that is sort of equitable and just, I think, is the flip side of trying to move towards net zero. It really is a kind of an whole of government approach, it sounds like. So it's not just the transit agencies involved. You know, whenever I think about this topic, I always think about an acronym that Thierry used several years ago, which was really industry leading. I remember it was PACE, right? Personalized, autonomous, connected, and electric. I always use that in my mind to remember when I was giving speeches. So thank you for that, for that acronym you gave me. What's happening in rail right now? Well, here in Spain, 90% uh, of our traffic, of, of our operations are uh, run by electric trains. Wow. So we have, we have reduced uh, in almost 90% from the Kyoto Protocol the, the, the emissions of CO2 in Spain, I mean, Renfe. And for the last, uh, for these 10% of diesel trains that we still have to use because they are not non-electrified lines. I mean, we have trains, but the lines are not that much. Uh, we have uh, invested in the last four years, six billion euros in new trains for commuter regional services, so public service obligations. And the electric ones are more efficient, uh, but we have been invested also in trains with batteries. Just for this first and last mile, as you said, running uh, below this the catenary, and then this, the, the last mile of the of the trip run by batteries. And we are investing in also in, in R&D with uh, with European funds in hydrogen projects uh, for with for three different uh, products. I mean, for long distance, but also commuter and regional. I think that there's something that we don't have that much time to talk about. That you know, rail. I think the rail in Europe is really electrified and. This way, we are we, we can be the backbone of this sustainable mobility system, as we have uh, the, the the commitment of zero emissions in the short term. How about in Hamburg? Two quick points. Um, we made a promise to our population, and the promise is uh, from 2020 on, every new bus we buy is an emission-free bus. We have about uh, 280 emission-free buses now, and 275 are electric buses. So we observe hydrogen technology, but. To tell you the truth, we're not really convinced by hydrogen technology and uh, the electric buses are getting better, better, better and better. And so this is actually where we see rather see the future. The second thing is to make a different point and not to repeat what my colleague said here is we also operate uh, with our companies at the financial market. So we issue green bonds and if we invest into our bus fleet and our public transport, we have a certified company, Humble the Hofbahn, and says, okay, this is a green bond, and we issued 800 million in green bonds already um, to, to, to get money for investment in public uh, transport. So it's not only uh, the case that we need to rethink our fleet, but also that we see other things, what we can do with public transport. It's not only green bonds, it's not only the financial market, it's also the public space. We can reduce if we build new construction sites, for example, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So public transport is more than just transporting people. It's a whole ecosystem, and we need to roll it out in a green way. I'm going to ask you in just a minute, but we have only one more question left. You're going to want to stay around because it's a fun one. Jerry, tell me about what's happening with you all. Yeah, yeah. in the organization, I mentioned it before, we're moving into electric. What's the most important move? We are also moving to biogas, where it makes sense. I think we have a common challenge is to stop speaking about zero emission buses 
but to start looking at footprint and the life cycle. I think that let's not make a mistake uh, because if we want to be at some part carbon neutral, it's not being because we'll be zero emission in the short term. And that is very important that we start looking at uh, on the, the start, we start working at scope three and four. It's going to be very, very important. Addition we avoid. And sometimes when I mentioned the express buses or express coach, I was mentioning before, 90% of the emissions are sold with the diesel buses. And if you go to an electrical buses, an electrical coach, you get 95%. So some places, it's better to have a bus or a coach than having an electrical one, than having nothing. So it's, it's, it's a challenge to be sure that we can do everything at the same time. And we should not avoid that. If we can avoid emissions from cars, it's also very important. The fact that people give their cars is also very important. And I think that the fact that we start thinking more globally about footprint, it is important for our local industry as well, because we want things to be produced locally and developed locally. And we need also to think about the life cycle of the product more and more. And that's what we are trying to do. We will start in France, and then we'll expand this type of approach in different countries where we can really assess the life cycle of the product. So we'll go to something else. We are electric. 90% of our traffic are electric. But these may have uh, some collateral effects when you have this rising in price in energy, as we yes. said. We're like three times the, the, the cost of energy in the last three years. So and this is affecting our PNL, of course. So these were a lot of the challenges, and you can hear they're very uh, interesting and uh, innovative solutions. So the last question will be all positive, and uh, it'll be quick for you, I think, too, which uh, we want to end on. We really do believe, I believe personally, I know Badaxo does, that you know, public transportation and mobility really is one of the key solutions to the world's problems. It really is making sure people have access to all of life's opportunities. So in that regard, what's one of the very best things that is happening right now at your operation or at your company? Let's start with you, Terry. What's one of the very best things happening at TransDev? The best thing happening is today the, the, the merger of the, the, with, with First Transit in the U.S., uh, which makes us a very, very strong company in the U.S., able to better serve our clients. And I think it's a great opportunity. Thank you, Laurent. And congratulations on this one. That's a very big move. Very, very serious. Yeah. How about, how about with you? What's one of the best things happening right now? So I'm an urban planner, so I like the whole system, um, and I'll pinch the words of the speaker yesterday, but one of the things that's most exciting for me and for our organization is seeing this integration of how we think about public transport alongside public health, public education, um, and uh, as being able to build the, that whole ecosystem. So I try not to see things just in terms of transport, but in terms of um, how transport enables all these other things to happen and to, to build a great place around it. And that excites me. That gets me to work every day. It's very good. What's one of the best things happening in Renfrew? I think that is, it's competition. Uh, I mean, we are facing for the first time competition in, in the same mode. I mean, trains, uh, high-speed trains are now operate, being operated by other companies. And in the short term, public service is going to be open to competition. This is transforming Renfrew forcing us to transform. But we are changing, we are being more efficient, more sustainable, and so uh, we are going to be better. Right? And that, for me, my organization, is the best thing that could happen. Great, we'll let the politician talk last. He's used to giving a positive. So tell us what's the great thing happening in Hamburg, Germany right yeah, now. The, the, the greatest thing that happened, I actually noticed, and also already is a Deutschland ticket. It is, it is so good, we have 200,000 more subscriptions 
to only our local public transport in Hamburg than one month ago. 200,000 more subscriptions. It's 100,000 more than we had at the highest peak before pandemic. And we cut the, the, the transport cost for our citizens by half. So this in the, in, the, in the world where all the prices rise quite a lot, it's a social win, it's an ecological win, and it's a win for public transport. It's, a, it's actually the best thing we've done this year. It's very uh, exciting and it's popular too. I mean, uh, I shared an article from what you all are doing in Hamburg about a month ago. It got more hits than anything else I posted this year on LinkedIn. So it's, it's a very popular program and That's I think cool. one that other people around the world are looking at. This has been a great panel. Let's give them a round of applause. Kerry Malley, Laura Tove, Ruben Lenore, and Anjay Sharp. Thank you so much for being with us today and for the work you're doing to improve public transit around the world. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged with our special guests, Thierry Mallet, Anjus Charks, Laura Schof, and Ruben Lenore. Now, this was just the first of two special CEO roundtables recorded at the UITP Global Summit in Barcelona. Next one is coming up in two weeks. But in the meantime, next week on the show, we have David S. Kim, the former Secretary of Transportation for the state of California and now Senior Vice President and Principal of National Transportation Policy and Multimodal Strategy at the consulting group WSP. And we also have Keith Scott and Rebecca Klein-Scott's part two of their leadership lesson. And that lesson is all going to be about self-talk. If you have a question, comment, or like to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. Transit Unplugged is brought to you by Medaxo. At Medaxo, we're passionate about moving the world's people. At Transit Unplugged, we're passionate about telling those stories. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.